Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. You will find it in your um, Bibles in the pew in front of you on page 1781. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. It's instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Thanks, Ellen. Thanks, guys. <clears throat> Um, the conflict that can exist between adolescent age and older children and parents um, can be really difficult. And it's very easy as adults to forget how hard it is to be a child emerging into an adult, not be an adult yet, and not really be a child and to be caught in between the middle and have a thousand questions and senses of inferiority and trying to figure it out and just having, as my daughter say sometimes, a lot of feelings, okay? And being a parent, who is one of the most difficult points of their life, you are starting to feel like you're getting older, your job may or not, may not be going well. If your job is going well, you're probably working very hard. And you're like going through these, and you've got kids of various ages, and there's a lot going on, and it sort of feels like in some ways a recipe for disaster, and sometimes we accept that therefore it must be, and that is not true. That is not true. Um, harmony, the state of people caring for and loving each other well, is an enormous gift that we have the ability to give each other, both children and parents. Harmony in your family is possible. Okay, we're going to get to that being hard to believe in a little bit. Okay, but it is possible. It's also important to remember that development always creates conflict, and that's because making adults is inherently dramatic. Or making adulthood, because it's not just the parents making adults, right? The kids are actually doing way more work in making the adult than the parent, right? Like it's hard, sometimes it's hard to believe that, right? But it's true, like they are the one who actually has to go through the process of metamorphosis into becoming the adult, Right? And it really is harder for them to make adulthood than us to make, an adult, make adulthood. Right? We may be working harder than them because we're being an adult and making an adult, and they're just making an adult. But the, if you just look at the making adult piece of it, they are doing more work because they are the one going through the painful and difficult metamorphosis. Right? And then, so you may not be experiencing the gift of harmony in your household right now or in your relationships with your parents or children right now. And it's important, therefore, as Christians to recognize that we are not judged by or defined by necessarily what is happening to us, okay? There may be things that you've done. There may be things that you've not done. You just may be in a particular situation. And the question is not, where are you or what's happening? The question is, what are you willing to pursue? That's always the question. What do you believe is right? What do you believe you should pursue? And what are you willing to do in the pursuit of it? That's always the question for a Christian, because what is the fundamental question of salvation? Like, what is the, the number one condition, the great criteria God gives human beings, right? It's not, it's not that we be good people. That's the byproduct of it, right? The fundamental question is the question of faith. 
What do you believe and what do you have the courage to be made willing to do no matter what you think stands against you and no matter whether you think it's impossible to achieve or accomplish what's been laid in front of you? Right? The question, we say this around here all the time. The question is not whether or not you succeed. The question is whether you're willing to fail in the right direction. And whether or not you're willing to recognize that when you strive towards something that you think, maybe even rightly, seems impossible, that the grace of God, that there is divine help in your striving so that if you're successful, you're only successful because of God's grace. But God is graciously active in your striving, which is the only thing making it worth trying. Right? Okay. Now, given that, this is not one of those sermons where it's wise for pastors to come up with like, sexy little propositions that are like, like these super memorable statements. The passage has its memorable statements in it, right? Statement number one is, children, obey your parents, right? Statement number two is, parents, don't exasperate or provoke your children, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Perfectly memorizable statements, okay? So I just want to look at those two this morning and try to apply them. And I encourage both the youth ministry and the children's ministry to put kids— fifth grade and older, in the service so that we could all hear this together. Now, I want to make very clear, since we do have kids and parents together, which I think is really good, the point of this is not for parents to listen to the kids' part so that you can throw it up in your kids' faces later, or for parents, kids to listen to the parents' part so that you as kids can throw it up in your parents' faces later, okay? Just as in marriage, in parenting— The point of each party is to be the ally of the other person to make their difficult job easier for them. Right? A wife isn't supposed to make it as hard as possible to be a good husband. A husband isn't supposed to make it as hard as possible to be a good wife. Your job is to be there to help it be as easy as possible for them to be a good husband or a good wife. Same thing with kids and parents. Right? We are here for each other. Not just parents to children, but children to parents. Right? There's lots of things kids can do to not make their parents' lives so difficult. Right? Their parent, your parents' lives are way more complicated than you think they are, and they're much more difficult than you think they are. Most kids really do—in adolescence, you think that your life is more complicated than your parents and more difficult, because your life may be emotionally more difficult, and because you're mostly inside your own head, and so your life feels as difficult as it could possibly be. How is it even possible your parents' life could be harder? Turns out, your parents have a lot of complicated things outside of their heads they're dealing with, like having jobs and stuff and having lots of complex relationships, and fixing the house, and all these things, and they have all that stuff, plus the stuff they have inside themselves, which may be a lot more than you think it is, right? And it's the job of both kids and parents to love each other. That is, do what you can to not make their lives a living hell, and do what you can so that it is easier for them to do not anything. You want to be their ally in making it easier to do what God wants them to do. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's go to the next slide if we can. Let's, can, you, can you flip to the parent one? I don't know why this isn't working. Children, obey your parents. Okay, so I want to go over four things that are in this passage related to kids and parents that I think are important. Okay, so the first is that um, it, it says in the passage, it is right for children to obey their parents, right? It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Does that make sense? And that's really important, especially if you are really frustrated with your parents, if you're a kid. Because in that, that happens. Like, if you don't think you're ever frustrated with your parents, you might be in denial as a kid, 
right? And most kids are not in such denial. They know very well that they're frustrated with their parents a good bit. Um, I need to frame this just a little bit because there's some, there may be a bunch of kids that be like, well, I'm, I obey my parents. I do what, I ultimately do what I'm told to do. Um, I, I was telling uh, a, kid re- a kid recently who was struggling with their folks on this that um, we have a family saying in the Gibson household that at least that I've tried to make a family saying that cheerfulness is a debt we owe everyone. Cheerfulness is a debt that we owe, owe everyone. It, um, you may feel angry or frustrated or mad inside, but when authenticity is also selfishness, you are not obligated to be authentic. Do you understand? When authenticity is really— se- expressing it as selfishness, then just doing that isn't good. Do you understand? You need to find another way to be authentic. Because we owe other people our cheerfulness. Because we're there to love others. One of the, and one of the main ways we either love or hurt others is with our attitude, right? One of those I was explaining this to a teenager recently was, your attitude is the weather that you put over everyone. Your attitude is like the weather that you put over everyone, right? You can, you can, um, you can make the sun go away and make them feel vitamin D deprived. Like you can just like make it dark in their life. You can make it cold. You can make it rainy. You can just make it bad. And sometimes people don't even, they walk around, they don't even understand how affected they are by the weather, right? So this is Wisconsin. I talk to people like in February sometimes. They're like, I don't know why I'm so depressed. I'm like, it's Wisconsin in February. The weather is killing you, right? Like, and they don't, sometimes people don't even realize how much just the, whether it's gloomy today, or whether it's a full moon, or whether it's rainy, or, or how cold it is, how much it affects their attitude. It affects your attitude a lot, especially if you're not careful about it. And your attitude is like that. And so if you're a kid, you may not even realize this yet, but what, one of the things that, that you will realize, you might be in denial about this, what you really do know is that your attitude is your greatest weapon against your parents. Okay, that's what you really know. Your attitude is your greatest weapon against your parents right? You can make—so I, I, was, I was coaching volleyball this last year, right? And the girls on my team just were not trying that hard, okay? And I got them into a huddle, and I was like, listen, girls, our job is to make it harder for the other team to win, okay? <laughs> I was like, now just think about your relationship with your father. You know how as teenage girls, you have all these things that you subtly do to make his life more difficult and everything he tries to do harder. And they all kind of look shocked. Like, who told you? <laughs> Ten girls at the exact same time made that face. Except for my daughter. She was like, yep. <laughs> I, was, and then I was like, that's what we're doing. Okay, we're, the other team is like your dad. And we're teenage girls. You're making everything as hard for him as possible, right? And what teenagers know, what— adolescents know is, is that their attitude is their strongest weapon. They can just be pissy. You know what I mean? They can just make it harder. They can just delay a little while. They can just—there's a thousand ways to show disrespect by your attitude and to try to humiliate your parents or make them look bad or make them seem unreasonable or to try to get them to self-doubt in some way. Like, you can just make their lives hard, right? And listen, a bad attitude is disobedience. Cheerfulness is the debt we owe everyone. And it's our job in love to be an ally to the other parties in our life to make what they're called to do in Christ easier. And so don't kid yourself if you're a kid that 
your attitude isn't fundamental and critical. And when God says obeying your parents is right, he doesn't mean obeying your parents, but still inflicting mass, maximum loss on them with your bad attitude, even though in the end you give them the small victory of the battle, but you inflict the most emotional casualties on them as possible by your bad attitude so that hopefully in the future they will learn that such conflict is not worth it. So that they will leave you alone and you can do whatever you want. Okay, is that, is that too honest? I'm not sure. Because that is the game adolescents are always playing, right? You're trying to figure out what it means to be an adult. You feel like you need more space to do it. You want to be treated more independently. The more you fight for that, the more immature you behave and the more your parents take more control. But you want more independence, so that creates a war, right? Then you inflict the maximum number of casualties because you want your parent to quit. But you don't really want your parent to quit, but you sort of want your parent to quit. It's the whole thing is horrifically ugly. And if you'll start by doing what's right, you don't, you don't have to—you don't have to respect your parent in that moment. You don't have to like your parent at that moment. You don't even have to be submitting to your parent in that moment, right? One of my daughters that has had a lot of difficulty in early adolescence, there are a number of times where she just has been, she's like, not hated my guts, literally, but probably mostly literally. And there were a couple times where she said, where she, she just said, well, I did it just because I'm a Christian and God told me to obey my parents and I just did it. And probably to this day, some of the things she does not agree with. But then other things she was like, I'm really glad I did it because now I see that it was really good, right? What God is telling you as, as children is he's, in, as he's saying, listen, obey your parents be simply because it's right. It's what God has told you to do. It's what you are supposed to do. Even if they're not using their authority very well in your opinion, because you could be wrong or you might be right. But they have right authority in your life given to them by God, and they are responsible for that authority. And it's not your job to make the use of that authority harder or to judge them in their use of that authority. It's right to obey your parents, okay? Now, um, the, the good news is God also knew that, like, you would also need some encouragement on top of that, right? And so he says that— um, Obedience to your parents is also the first commandment with a promise, right? I, I tried to drill that in my kids when they were like four years old. Abby could have told you at four. She was, like, she was like, yep, it's the first commandment with a promise. In the Ten Commandments, right, the summary of all of God's laws, there's only one commandment that even has a promise, and this is the first one because it's the only one out of those ten that has a promise. So think about this. Of all of the commands God could have given for human flourishing— that children should obey their—should honor their father and mother is number four of all of them. Do you understand that? After there's one God, don't make idols, and don't worship and be enslaved to work. The next fundamental human principle for human flourishing is children obey your parents. That's number four. Do you understand? It comes before killing, don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery. And don't worship in your heart your desire to take other people's belongings. Okay, it comes before those. Partially because if kids honor their fathers and mothers, they tend not to grow up to be these other things. Do you understand? Now, it also, it also is a promise. It says that if children obey their parents, two things will happen. One, it will go well with you and you will live long in the land. Okay, so, it's, so there's two kinds of promises. One is a wisdom promise. 
and one is a social promise. So the, the first one, the wisdom promise, is that things will go well with you, right? And so it says— um, so, so, okay, I'm going to make a statement that will be controversial to most of you kids, but probably not to parents. The, the number one proposition to make your life go well is this. Obey your parents. If, you, if you're a kid and you want your life to go well, there may be one in between 500 and 1,000 parents for the, whom this would not be true, okay? But for the vast, 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 vast majority of cases, including for most bad parents or incompetent parents, it is still true that the number one thing that if you do it, your life will go well for you is if you obey your parents. Okay? Now, you might be like, well, that seems weird that if you're— even if my parents are bad and incompetent. Yeah. Because listen, a good portion of people, for example, who go into psychology and become counselors are psychologically unstable human beings. Okay? It's well documented. And a lot of people who are— it's not well—I'm just saying. And a lot of people who go into pastoral ministry—listen, a lot of people who go into pastoral ministry are very unspiritual people. Or they become over time very unspiritual people. Because then their religion becomes like a business and a job, and then it kind of loses its transcendence, and it, right? And yet, those unspiritual pastors and those psychologically unstable counselors often give really good advice to people. Right? Why is that? Well, first of all, it's because it's much easier to see things in other people than it is to see things in yourself. Right? That's why you think your parents are hypocrites. They tell you stuff that they think is really great advice and you don't think they're doing it, okay? Well, let's stipulate for a moment. Maybe they are hypocrites. They're probably not as much as you think. But let's, let's, let's stipulate for a second. Maybe they are hypocrites, right? It doesn't make their advice bad. Why don't people do what's best for them? Why do adults not become great when, they, when they're not great, right? And the answer is not they don't know what to do usually. It's they don't have the strength and courage to do it right? So they have great advice for people. People whose lives—listen, I've gotten really, really great advice from people whose lives are in complete shambles, right? But no one on planet Earth—listen, in most cases, even if your parents are bad parents and incompetent parents, which is not anywhere near as many parents as you think they are, they still have natural affection for you that no one else on planet Earth has, okay? And they can see things you don't see, they're more competent than you think they are. And the more incompetent or bad they are, the more they have suffered and learned things that way. So that the position of the parent as an adult who suffered things and failed and not lived up to all they wanted to be, knowing that sometimes they're hypocrites, are still the most faithful guide you will ever have. And some of you have fantastic parents. You have no idea, and you won't know, maybe for years, how amazing your parents are. And no matter how bad your parent is, you still have no idea how much they've sacrificed for you, for you to just exist. The number one most indicative proposition for your life to go well, if you're a child, is that you would obey your parents. You can always make some adjustments later in how they guide you. The second part is where he says you'll live long in the land. And in that case, God is actually talking to a whole group of people, a whole nation of people. And he's saying you'll live long in the land. What that means is this. Living long in the land means that other people will attack you and fight you and come after you, and you'll be able to withstand them. That is, you'll be able to hold your place even with people warring against you. Meaning this, that if you obey your parents, your society won't collapse. That's literally, literally what it means. If you obey your parents, 
your whole society will thrive rather than collapse. Do you understand? That's an incredibly important reality. Because you live in a society that you need to not collapse. You need it to not collapse politically. You need it to not collapse socially. You need it to not collapse morally. You need it to not collapse in a lot of different ways. And the integrity of the family, both parents a being there in the same home as their children, and secondly, for them to be involved in the guidance of the life of their children, and children obeying their parents is the most fundamental and most indicative thing that any group of people would thrive. Right? When your friend doesn't obey their parents, it's not cool. It's creating a tiny little cost that everybody's going to pay. And when you think it's— when you copy it, when you, when, when you feed off of each other, like, yeah, we're going to give our parents a hard time, right? You're creating an increased cost that you're going to pay that everybody's going to pay. Because when you make parenting harder, you make marriage harder, you make work harder, you make life harder. Stress compromises parents and kids' immune— Like, there's, there's a thousand different costs— and they all kind of snowball on each other. Nobody really knows exactly what they are, and they're hard to statistically track, but it costs everybody everything over time. And societies destroy themselves in not obeying the natural dynamics of authority and natural affection and love that are situated in the direct relationships of the human family. Right. And it's, it's one of the reasons why the church is supposed to be a place that while it doesn't judge people when they have failed in the wrong direction, it is always holding out the pursuit that we should seek to marry one person and have children so that we can all live in a single household together so that both parents, that the child needs both of them to be directly involved in their lives, can be there. And no matter how many times that doesn't work, okay, it's not going to always work. And it doesn't mean that we're judging people for whom it hasn't worked or for whom they've failed in the pursuit of it. But the, but the picture always must be there. Because we always have to be pursuing as close to the proximity of that thing that we can get as close to as we can which is that we would have two parents that are different in their makeup and complementary to each other, loving each other in a single household with a fertile relationship, receiving new life from God and raising them up in the admonition of the Lord, and children who are learning to obey their parents so that they can receive that admonition and be formed into the metamorphosis of honorable and godly adulthood. And then whatever extra is left over in that— is used to help anybody who for misfortune or sin has not been able to perfectly approximate it. So that we can live long in the land. So we can grow up in strength together. And so that we can have more emotional and, and all kinds of different spiritual strengths that feed and help each other. And lift each other up whenever someone falls behind. But that only works when all of us are aiming for the goal and the the healthy and spiritual nature that God puts out in front of us, no matter where we are. Does that make sense? And so, kids, you may not fully understand that yet, but it's not just good for you. It's good for everyone. And your friends need sometimes to hear you say, I'm not doing that. And they're like, well, why not? Because if we get caught, can you imagine how humiliating that's going to be for my parents? 
And they're like, well, that's so stupid. Be like, no, I don't think it's stupid. Part of the calling of my life is to honor my father and mother. The last thing I would ever want to do is to humiliate them. I'm not doing it. Right? And in that moment, you become, you start to become an adult. Because you start to do what's right instead of worrying about what's going to happen to you and what people are going to think of you. Right? That's when you become an adult. Not when you do something against your parents so you're free of them. Okay, let's keep moving. The third thing is um, that the command to obey your parents can save you from the natural pitfalls of youth, right? Every life stage has its own pitfalls. Like, like old people, like if they're not careful, they like get crusty and judgy towards everybody instead of like advising and supportive towards everybody. And like um, people, people my age just like want to focus, hyper-focus on work or they we like to have midlife crises or something like that. Youth has its own most normal pitfalls. And they tend to be things like you don't know what you don't know but you think you know stuff, right? And so it's like that, you remember the famous um, Mark Twain quote where he's like, you know, when I was 20, I couldn't believe how stupid my father was. And when I came back 10 years later, I couldn't believe how much he'd learned, right? It's like, like when, you're, when you're younger, you just don't know what you don't know, and you can't know what you don't know. So you have to just believe that this person in authority knows more than you. And if you will submit yourself to that, you will be saved from many of the pitfalls of youthful ignorance. And if you won't, you won't be, right? Secondly is this inexperience. Like, you don't think stuff is going to happen to you. And it, and it might not. But the likelihood it's going to happen to you is unacceptably high, and you don't understand that yet. And so when your parents tell you to be home by a certain time, because they just don't want you on the roads after 2 a.m. or something, or maybe 10, 10 p.m., like— there's reasons why they believe that. There's reasons why they tell you to pursue some things and not others. Because in experience, you just, you, you just don't know what's going to happen to you. Because part of the difference between adults and children is that adults can predict things further in advance than children. It's a fundamental difference between, between older people and younger people. Older people just have seen things play out a bunch of times, and they've learned to ask, ask the question, if this happens, what's going to happen next? And then what's going to happen after that? And then what's going to happen after that? And younger people just ask what's going to happen after that fewer times. And so if you will listen to and obey your parents, they can save you. Almost any adult can save you from the pitfalls of inexperience. This is true of laziness. Like, why do kids not want to obey their parents? Well, because parents have a natural love for their children, and usually they want their, parent, their kids to succeed, they're telling their kids to do stuff that will cause them to have better futures, right? Their kids want to do stuff that's easier now, like play more video games and spend time on social media and lay around and get up at nine and, or later. And, like, they just—they want to do easier things because they feel like their life is hard because they're almost so emotionally overloaded. But listen— Laziness hurts you really dramatically in the long run, and your parents are supposed to try to save you from it. And if you let them drive you reasonably, right, they will save you from the pitfall of natural laziness. Almost everybody, when they get in their middle 20s or early 30s, are like, oh, I wish I would have worked harder sooner. Almost everybody feels that way. I wish I would have worked harder sooner. And then you remember, your parents were always telling you to you just wouldn't listen to them, right? And then fourth is, I'm going to just do what I want. It's just natural because you're so focused on yourself because you're trying to develop yourself, which is very difficult and perfectly natural. 
the, the byproduct of that is, is that naturally when you're younger, you tend to behave in really selfish ways. Partly because you don't really understand what you're doing to other people, and you're not really thinking about what you're doing to other people, and your parents are right there to help you see what you're doing to other people. And so if you obey your parents, it can save you from some of the natural and normal pitfalls of youth. So obey your parents. And then lastly, you might wonder like, okay, wait, should, you, should I ever disobey my parents? Does that mean like no matter what, if they ask me to kill somebody, I just kill them, right? All right, okay, and there's, there's two limitations. Remember, the first commandment is not obey your parents. The, the, command, the commandment in the Ten Commandments is obey your father and mother. Obey your father and mother. Or, I'm sorry, it's honor your father and mother, right? Honor your father and mother is different over life stages. As you grow up and you become an adult, your parents, if they want what's best for you and they understand what's best for you, is they realize that you have to take responsibility for your life. In fact, if you're wondering, well, Pastor Nick, when am I adult? Okay, let me, here's the definition of adulthood. You have taken complete responsibility for your own life. Okay? You pay your own bills. Like, you live in your own place. You lead yourself spiritually. Nobody has to make you come to church or follow the Lord. Like, it doesn't mean, like, you send out a college application. Okay? That's not adulthood. Do you understand? Like, adulthood is when you take responsibility for your whole life. If your parents are still paying for stuff, you are not completely an adult. Do you understand? Because—and here's why. Because you're not taking the consequences for all of your actions. You're an adult when all of the consequences for your stupidity land on you, not them. Right? And so for a lot of us, even like an undergrad, we're not like completely adults because our parents are still paying for everything and we're just supposed to be going to school, right? How is that different from when you were 15, really, other than that you can misbehave more and there's less supervision, right? That doesn't mean—so you understand? Like, that's what adulthood is. And so— when that's true, then what is honoring to your parents is no longer just straightforward obedience, nor is parenting just giving commands, right? As kids get older, parents become less the commander and more of the advisor. And that happens even like when they're, they're still living in your house. You start being like, well, look, you're gonna have to make this decision yourself, but here's my advice. Or for some relationships, it's you're gonna have to make this decision for yourself. Would you like my advice? <laughs> and if you're a kid, you should say, Thank you for acknowledging I should make this decision myself. Yes, I would like your advice, so long as you won't be hurt if I don't take it. <laughs> okay. And then secondly, um, if you're a child and your parent tells you to do something as a command that you should obey, and you are absolutely sure that it is a sin and a profound disloyalty to Christ, you have the right to disobey it, or to at least question whether or not they should be telling you to do it. But listen— this is not the same as the passage before about wives and husbands. Because wives are adults. They're just as smart as their husbands. They have just as good a moral clarity as their husbands. And so they know when their husbands are misusing their authority. When you're a kid, you have a developmental problem where you are not equally competent to your parent to know whether or not you—the thing is bad. And so— um, there's a whole bunch of gray area where a wife might be like, look, you should not be using— your authority like this husband, and push back on her husband where a kid should just obey. But if you're a kid and you are absolutely sure that what you're being asked to do by your parent is a disloyal to Jesus and a sin, then you can appeal to the higher authority of Christ, but you should start by questioning them. And that's about the only time you should be questioning your parents. 
But you should say, mom or dad, I, I feel like what you're telling me to do is just a sin. Like it's a disloyalty to Jesus. I feel like I, I feel compelled to like not do it for that reason. Not because I don't want to honor you, but like I don't want to do evil in your name because I want to honor you. Like, are you sure you want me to do this? And I'm just going to tell you, if that's really the situation which you do it, it will basically never happen. Okay? So almost no parent, even parents who do evil themselves, they don't want their kids doing evil. And so like even really terrible people don't want their kids poisoned. And so like if that's the real criteria, what you'll find is you'll be like, okay, in that situation I disobey my parents. And then you'll find that it will never happen. And then you'll be like, oh, stink. That means I should just always be obeying my parents. <laughs> okay? So let's move on. Parents. Parents are—your job is to nurture your children in the Lord. Now, you might be like, Nick, I did not see the word nurture in that passage, and I can understand you saying that, okay? Um, here are the four commands that are explicitly in the passage. One, bring them up. That's your fundamental job, is to bring them up, is to— a, Remember, in this, in this, one of the things I liked about that song is in Galhorn's lyrics, he says, I realize it's not my—it's my job to help them become good adults, not perfect in-betweens. It's taken me a long time to figure that out, my poor 16-year-old, right? Like, the, the point is not that—one of the things that I think is very difficult about parenting teenagers and, and kids and adolescents is they are going to be a hot mess because they're going through this very painful metamorphosis, right? And so you're going to have all these situations where they're a mess, but what they need is like your encouragement and your nurturing, and you can't just point out everything that's wrong, right? Like you, you, you can't make them perfect. And so they're going to do stuff that's going to humiliate you. The question is, the same question you should ask yourself, are they failing in the right direction, right? Um, one of my kids recently um, did something that I won't go into that was really unhelpful and cost me money to repair. And— um, and my kid was like, I can't believe I did this again. And like, she, I mean, the, he or she was like in tears and was like, I'm such a bad kid. And I was like, come here. I was like, this is not what bothers me. You have been trying to do the right thing so much more consistently. This was an accident. Like, you made a mistake. This is, this is not what hurts me or bothers me at your parent. I, I would pay— do anything for this to be the biggest problems that we have. Like, I, right, like, sometimes you gotta be like, how could, not, like, how could you be so stupid? But you'd be like, look, this is bad. Like, let's try to do this less. But like, this is not what I'm against as your parent. Like, this is just part of you growing up. Like, you're gonna do some stuff that's unhelpful, right? Like, sometimes you just gotta realize they're gonna be a hot mess. Like, your goal is like 26, 31, 45. Like, that's the goal. Not right now. The only question you're asking right now is, when they get there, is what's happening right now going to serve that? And is it not going to kill them now? Or irreparably harm them? A lot of—and kids, you need to know, a lot of times when your parents, like, step in there and they do stuff that you think is crazy, it's—what they're afraid of is the irreparable harm now. That's what they're afraid of. They're afraid something's going to happen to you that's really going to hurt you now that you'll pay costs for for a really long time. And that's usually where the biggest fights happen. Right? I can't go more into that right now. Okay, don't promote. Okay, I shouldn't be preaching these. I'm supposed to move into them. Okay, so um, our job as parents is to nourish or nurture our kids. You'd be like, well, what, what's that? So the word for um, bring them up, this translated bring them up, the only other time that's used in the New Testament is in Ephesians 5, the chapter right before it. It's used right here. After all, no one ever hated his own body, 
but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Or the New American Standard Version says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Do you see the idea here? The, the word for bring up is also the word for nourish or to nurture. Like you're trying to grow a little plant or something like that. That's the goal. That is the operative imperative. Do you understand? So whatever else we say about what parents do, you need to realize that the general overarching goal is that our job is to nurture or nourish or bring up our kids to a certain kind of adulthood that is, well, as we'll see in a minute, of the, or in the Lord. Does that make sense? The second thing is, is that we need to not provoke our children. So in the new, uh, the NIV, it translates to exasperate your children. Don't exasperate your children. And um, my kids love that translation. Because um, every time they feel like totally overwhelmed by me parenting them, they can be like, Dad, I just feel really exasperated right now. Ephesians 6, you know. Um, but the word that's translated exasperate um, in other translations, like the New American Standard, or the, the English Standard Version, is the word provoke. And I, I think that that's a better translation, okay, for a number of reasons. Exasperate is kind of a weird word to translate there, but that's what, that's what the translators chose. But to provoke basically means like to poke at. It's—you well, could define it this way. is to tempt someone through negative emotion to do something destructive. That's what provoke means, right? Now listen, parents, you might be like— Okay, well, I don't provoke my kids. Okay, that's why I wrote that other part. Don't underestimate how much you resent your kids, or you won't know you're provoking them, okay? I remember sitting with a guy talking about his teenagers, saying, he said this, and it really, it really hurt my feelings, the ones that I have. And he said, he said, my boys sit at my dinner table with my food in their mouths, criticizing me. Okay? Most men won't say that out loud. And most, most mothers won't say things like that out loud. But the, the frustration of adolescence caused kids to behave in ways where they don't understand how selfish that they're being. And because they don't understand it, they're just ruthless and reckless in how they treat their parents. And they hurt their parents. They hurt you very much. And it is humiliating, and it is painful, and it is really hurtful, and you'll—and then what you'll say is, well, I'm a parent, and I—like—I'm not angry at my children, and I love my children, and like, y- you do love your children, and there's also a huge growing resentment potato in your heart towards them because they're being idiots, and they are so unthankful for every sacrifice you've made for them, and you sort of hate them a little too. Remember, love and hate are very close emotions. It's indifference that's the opposite, remember? And so, like, parents struggle— a lot with resentment, especially when their kids are in their teenage years. And if you're in denial about how much you, resentment you feel towards your children, it's very easy for you to think that you're doing something constructive when you really are provoking your kid and trying to do what they're doing to you. Using emotional assaults to inflict on them as much casualty as you can to show them they're not going to bury you over and you're going to put them in their place and dang it, they are going to be what you want them to do and they're not going to make your life miserable. Right? And it feels so good and it feels so righteous and it is anger, not godliness coming out. And you are not helping your kid. You're provoking them And it feels so good because they just provoked you and you can punch harder 
you know, and so the reason I say that is because, like, listen, you gotta open your heart to how you really feel about your kids, and it turns out it's a big mixture. You love them. You want the best for them. You adore them. You want them to be around. You can't wait to see them develop into honorable adulthood. You want their faith to grow. You're so proud of them. You want to strangle them. You're so angry at them. How could they be so disrespectful and dishonoring and humiliating towards you? Why would they behave this way? Don't they understand all that you've done for them and are doing for them like right this minute? How could they behave this way? And it's all there at the same time. And if you deny the knowledge to yourself— that you feel that way, you will provoke your kid when you think you're trying to help them. You'll be so much more angry with them. Do you understand? It's, just, it's, imp- it's important to recognize that. You don't have to tell them. Just you have to tell yourself. And then God and maybe a counselor or your pastor or your husband and like pray about it and try to deal with it. Otherwise, it's very unhelpful. Does that make sense? Okay, great. Um, third is training and admonition, which is, means this. Training is a experiential word, right, in the, in the original language. It means to help somebody master a set of skills that they're going to need, okay? Which means you have to let people do stuff, right? But it means that you're training them to be proficient at something. That's your big goal. And second, admonition. Now, admonition is, is um, defined this way in one of the lexicons. To counsel about the avoidance or cessation of an improper course of conduct, which means this. Provoking someone and admonishing someone are similar. Because admonishing, that word admonish, that's translated—I forget what it's translated in the NIV, but it should be translated admonish probably. Because the word has a negative connotation, okay? If you're a parent, you know that you have to constantly say negative things to your kids because they keep screwing everything up and doing everything wrong, okay? Because they're kids, and that's what kids do. Now— Hopefully you recognize that because you're going to have to say a lot of negative things to your kids, you need to have a very intentional ministry of affirmation to your kids, right? Because they need a lot of affirmation if you're going to have to tell them a lot of negative things. But the Bible explicitly says that one of the things you have to do as a parent is you have to admonish your kids. That word is a a fundamentally negative statement. You have to tell people to not stop doing stuff that's going to hurt them. So what's the difference? Because provoking is to negatively say something to somebody to try to get them to behave in a certain way that you want to control. And admonishing is saying a negative thing that's meant to affect their behavior. But there's a big difference. A provocation is the word of an enemy. To take control and to get somebody to do something against their ultimate interests because you want something for yourself or you're trying to hurt them. That's what a provocation always is. You're provoking them to hurt themselves. Admonition is fundamentally the opposite. It is a negative word, but it is a negative word from an ally encouraging you to do what's in your own best interest and what is right so that you can flourish. And being able to tell the difference between those two in your own actions as a parent is one of the most fundamental questions that we have to ask ourselves every single day. And that's one of the reasons why it's the fundamental thing Paul gives us to think about. I mean, he could have written anything to parents. There's so many other things he could have written to parents. But he says, listen, here's the dichotomy, parents. Are you provoking your children? Or are you training and admonishing them? That's the question. That is always the fundamental question. Which are you doing? Right? And then lastly, is that to bring them up in the, in the training and admonition of the Lord. Right? Of the Lord. So like, 
you're not, we're not making clones. They don't have to be just like us. Thank God the economy is diverse enough that they don't have to do the job we did, right? And so if we, if what we want is for our kids to grow up into honorable and godly adulthood, our goal is for them to become themselves. And as themselves like Christ through our influence. Now, if they become themselves like Christ through our influence, they're going to be a lot like you. They're going to be a lot like us as pa- their parents because they come from our own bodies. They get a lot of their temperament and stuff from us just genetically, right? They're going to live in our house and they're going to live in the air that we breathe and they're going to naturally pick up so much from us and they're going to think they're so different from us and then they're going to turn into us in their 40s. Like they, like, they think, you know, they think they're like, oh, I just pick and chose for my parents. No, like if, you, like, if you think your parents were bad, um, a lot of negative things in your life are probably their faults. That might be true. Probably less than you think, but it's probably true. Almost everything that's good about you is their fault too. So much more than you think. And part of growing up and becoming an adult is realizing that. Realizing that your parents were conflicted and imperfect people, and that there are ways they hurt you. There are so many ways they helped you. You thought they hurt you much more than they really did. You were hurt by things that were meant for your good, and they did so much good for you that you had no idea was even happening, and that you immediately forgot, and that your relationship with your parents is way more complicated and way more actually in some ways positive than you ever dreamed it really was. And you better come to that realization before you're a parent, or you'll be incredibly self-righteous as a parent. Right? And so there's a couple things that— um. I want to I end with and focus on as a spiritual charge to us, right? One is, um, will you obey what God has said is right, both parents and children? Children, obey your parents because it's right, and it's the first commandment with a promise. The God's goal in the promise is that it would go well with you. And parents, will you obey the command that we have to strive so that we are—everything we do to our kids is training and admonition in the Lord and not a provocation, right? And that may seem impossible for you, whether you're a kid or a parent. And I want you to understand, that's why this whole series goes back to The apostles claim that in Christ we can be made a new creation. We can be made new. We can be profoundly changed. That your relationship with your kids or your relationship with your parents is not another thing. It's a fundamental part of the things God is trying to make new and wants to make new through faith. Do you understand? And, um, in the days in which Jesus was coming into the world— in the Incarnation. The world had all the same problems it has today, just in slightly different ways, right? And when the angel spoke to John the Baptist's father, the one who was going to prepare people for Jesus, and he was saying what this person was going to accomplish that was fundamental to really creating a place where the knowledge of God could thrive. He said, this is what's going to happen. This is what this person is going to do. He's going to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. 
could have said anything. The angel could have said anything could get better. He could have said, the poor will be fed and the rich will share. He could have said, politicians will no longer tell us what we want to believe and we'll know who to vote for. He could have said that, like, the crops will grow more or that farmers will work really hard and, like, everybody will trade with each other fairly. Like, he could have—he literally could have said anything that could have got profoundly better. But he didn't say any of those things. He said that thing. He said, this is how you would know that the age of the Messiah had come upon you. Here's how you would know that somebody who's so different from anybody who had come before him, the person who would make the way for God's kingdom to start penetrating the earth, this guy, John the Baptist, the second Elijah, this is what he will do. He will have such a profound impact that fathers who say they love their children, but are filled with resentment towards them and don't really want anything to do with them. Their hardened heart will grow soft again, and it will turn toward their children again. And the natural affection that they had in the beginning will be filled with a spiritual affection because of the power of God, and they will want to love their children and to train them in the training and admonition of the Lord, to nurture them into honorable adulthood through whatever thrashing of their metamorphosis so that they could be the people God meant for them to be, so God could have the godly offspring he demanded in Malachi 400 years before. And secondly, and that stands for both parents, mothers too, and then secondly, it says, and he will turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. Who do you think that applies to? All the stupidity of youth, all the self-knowledge of sin, like all the kids, all their rebellion is wrapped up in the disobedient, and the wisdom of the righteous is their parents and everybody else, right? It's, it's this mixture of those who could advise you well and all the people who don't want to hear it, which is first and foremost young people particularly young people in relationship to their parents and the ministry of wisdom parents are supposed to have in the lives of their kids. And he says, he says, that will reverse also. In this moment where God's truth comes in and radically changes everybody, what will happen is people who are so smug and lazy and unwilling to learn and so full of the folly of youth and foolishness, will open their ears and open their minds and open their hearts to the people who are telling them to do stuff. And they will—it will occur to them that they've always only ever told them this for their good. They've only ever been pleading with them to do what was best for them and what was right. They want to be left behind so that they could grow up into their own wisdom and walk beautifully so that things would go well with them and we would all live long in the land. That is what the work of God is supposed to do. And listen, I know I'm old and my heart is hardening in age already. And I know that is the hardest thing in the world. I know that turning your heart to something you've turned your heart away from is the hardest thing there is. Why do you think the two most fundamental things God demands is faith and forgiveness? And what is faith? But mainly repentance. Admitting I was wrong and letting it go. Those are the two great demands of faith. I was wrong. I will let it go. 
fundamental to the exact and precise thing God calls the human sinner to is to repent of our hardness and let it go and turn our hearts in love back to each other. And where must it start first? Maybe the marriage first? But where only immediately after that? The hearts of parents have to be turned and opened again to their children and children to their parents. You can, you can give each other the gift of harmony. You can honor your parents. And parents can have their hearts turned towards their children. Our homes, with all their imperfections, with all of our problems, with all of our weaknesses, with all of our own family stuff that our parents are bringing in, with all of that, our homes can still be places of repentance and forgiveness and faith and love. They can be that. It is the hardest thing in the world. Don't kid yourself. Love is the hardest thing in the world. And that is why we have to be made new. We have to put off the old self and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. It starts with faith in Christ and in the power of his spirit and in the truth of his words and the courage of that can create in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, um, please help us to believe in and trust you as we must. And I pray that today there would be tears of confession and forgiveness in homes between parents and children, husbands and wives, friends and roommates even whose hearts have turned away from each other. God, please do in us by your spirit what you promised to do in John the Baptist in those days and turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. In Jesus' name and by his power, amen.